Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today to talk about V for Vendetta is Cookie. What's up, everybody? And Region. This isn't the 5th of November. What are we doing? It's close enough to it. So today, like I said, we are covering V for Vendetta, which was released in 2005. It has an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb, has a 73 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 62 on Metacritic. So I watched this a very long time ago. I had always seen snippets growing up of especially like Remember, Remember the 5th of November. I had seen that section so many times that I instantly recognized the movie or a Guy Fawkes mask, and I associated with this movie. So I had seen bits of it and then I had actually watched it years ago all the way through and I just didn't enjoy it. But on this rewatch, I thoroughly enjoyed my time. I thought it was a beautiful film that had a lot to say, that had a lot to display as well. The performances in this movie from both Natalie Portman and Hugo Weaving are phenomenal. John Hurt does a fantastic job in his role and the script is just beautiful, especially for Hugo Weaving, aka V in the movie is just fantastic, and I can't wait to dive more into it. But before we do so, Regent, how did you first come across this film? Well, this movie came out right after I turned 18, so I was able to go see it in theaters. I went with a couple of my friends that were very big into world history, um, more so European history. Originally, that was actually what I was going to go to college for and be a European history teacher. This was kind of a movie that I wanted to see it because I really enjoyed the premise of it. And then, like you said, for the prefaces of this, the beauty of the movie from the, the artistic presentation of it to the script, even to the actors, like you said, John Hurt, I mean, it's Stephen Fry in it, Portman, Hugo Weaving, like you have amazing people that are all known for different roles outside and you brought them together and it, they all work together in their own way which was quite frankly a phenomenal movie even to this day and age i still own a blu-ray copy of v Frendetta in my collection and i know there's a 4k copy out there i gotta find there is a 4K copy. It's available on Amazon for $23.99, but probably don't get it from Amazon first. Look around, shop around. We don't need to give all of our money to Amazon. But Cookie, how did you first come across this film? somewhat similar to Regent, but it's definitely different. When the movie came out, I was actually 17 and I didn't watch it in theaters, but at that time, my parents allowed me to be able to rent out movies from Blockbuster. So they put me on their account so they wouldn't have to keep taking me to get it. I was more than old enough to drive and get it. And I remember this awkward moment where the, the lady, before this movie came out, the lady had asked like, hey, since your son is 17, he's still not necessarily old enough to rent out rated R unless you check off. And my dad looked at me, he was like, well, you're you're grown enough, so I'm gonna trust your decision. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and and then you know he approved it. And this was probably the the only movie I can think of, or at least the first movie that was R rated that I rented all on my behalf because my, my family wasn't interested at all in this film. And it wasn't something I talked with my friends. But it's interesting to think about how I heard about the movie because, and I feel like we should definitely dive a bit into it. It's a little bit confusing because it's a DC Comics, and my introduction to it was it was a comic book. 
book movie. And when I first watched it, I was actually kind of disappointed, to be honest. And I enjoyed it to an extent, but I was also like, I don't see myself owning this. There's so much dialogue in this and, and it's so poetic. Like I wanted someone to just be kicking ass, especially this was 2005 and DC didn't have like a lot of movies, especially like they do now. We only had like Batman and Superman and stuff like that. So it was great that we finally started getting some more characters and other comic books. Yeah, I was just very neutral. And later on, I gave it another try in college. Once again, that whole speech I gave about being around a lot more movies and taking movie classes. And I fell in love with the film. I finally saw it for what it was. That's when I decided to own a copy because it was great. I watched it again recently and I still found new stuff and fell in love with it again. Gotcha. You actually share a very similar reaction to V for Vendetta as a lot of people. A lot of people went to go see it because the person who directed this also directed The Matrix. So people went in expecting a Matrix level action film, walked away with more of a, as you put it, a film full of dialogue and a lot to say per se. You weren't alone in that boat that people went to go and see something else, but were disappointed. And interesting enough, on this most recent rewatch, I was like, why, why isn't this movie considered one of the best DC comic films, or at least like in the top 10 and so forth? Because I, I think it is. It's so well written and there's a lot of great things and we're going to deep dive. But when I look at the reviews, it didn't reflect that. And a lot of the reviews said something similar. It was either people's single watch or they rewatched it and they gave it a higher rating. Mm -hmm. That's what I was finding as well as I was going through Rotten Tomatoes. People were actually editing and saying, I went back and watched it and loved it because I'm assuming they went in expecting either, like you said, a DC action film about a superhero or an anti-hero in this case, or they went in expecting an action film like Matrix. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the trailer that was released, more than half, or if not at least half of it, was action scenes. But the movie did not have at all half of it was action scenes. Not at all. I actually have a similar situation because I was disappointed by the film on my first watch. I grew up with my brothers actually being big into this movie. My brother actually has a Guy Fawkes mask and it was around the house growing up all the time. So I constantly saw merch from this movie, heard talks about it. And when I finally actually got to watch it, I was disappointed because I thought it was going to be this great action film about a superhero, but walked away just being like, nah, it's kind of boring. They talked too much and there was not enough enough going on <laughs> yeah but now that i can watch a movie and just take it in for all that it has to offer from whatever standpoint that is in this instance it was more of a work of art and i thoroughly enjoyed it on this rewatch yeah, it's interesting about the dialogue because, yeah, on that first watch, because your expectations, the dialogue kind of gets dreary after a while. But when you go back with a better appreciation, I loved 100% of the dialogue from beginning to end. And I quote some of it. So it's very interesting how that just kind of changes once you set your expectations. That was one of the very first things I noticed while rewatching it is that the dialogue in this movie is fantastic. I even said it was like poetry because of the way that it flows, especially for V, it is poetry and the way that it flows and connects and that every single word has like a deeper meaning behind it. And it's, it's just so good. It's written so well and each character interaction doesn't feel out of place. Every single character interaction feels like two characters who are fully established in this world actually having a conversation that is either leading somewhere or is something that you are going to notice later. 
Yeah, especially V. I, on this most rewatch, definitely felt like I was listening to a poetic song. That man, everything he said, you could tell it was calculated. Not one piece of uh or ahs. Everything was just thought through. Every single piece of word he said was thought through. Oh, yeah. It was all calculated. And even in the instance of Finch, when he was first introduced into the film, which he's one of the inspectors, detectives, he works alongside Dominic in the film. Like, they're set up immediately to start questioning everything. They're questioning whether this guy's actually a terrorist. They questioned if there was more going on than what they were told. And I thought that was fantastic that that got built up throughout the film to the point that we will lead up to in the end, where, of course, he lets the bombing happen. And I just thought that the way that each character gets an opportunity to grow throughout the film and it's because of the character interactions that they had previously that they do grow and also so good yeah and something else on this most recent rewatch i noticed was the difference in all the characters i feel like there was no character that was a copycat over another one everybody felt distinct and played their roles and i really like that especially the people who followed v and believe in the same ideology they were all so different including the cops police officers detectives because you, you had finch who was definitely the older guy who's seen a lot of shit and he even said it he's like i i don't believe in coincidence no more <laughs> and his partner was the younger guy that was kind of probably like him 15 years ago and both of them kind of especially near the end you can see how they both grew but yet they were still very different because one was a little bit more optimistic the other one finch could have turned evil or he could have been a bad guy the whole time because the way they started in the beginning and i like how they they even showed that even someone like him could still believe in the revolution and that's something during my research that I discovered is that whole ideology thing that you're talking about is that there was more of a ambiguity to it in, in the comic. Like it was hard to pick a side because both were opposite ends of the spectrum where one is law and order to the maximum to where it's a police state and then the other is absolute chaos, anarchy, almost Darwinism of society. And then police detectives, ironically enough, were supposed to be in the middle to where they're actually questioning things to whether or not there was what was the moral reasoning behind all this was this actually right or wrong and they were like the symbols of justice in the comic books and so i thought that the removal of that was a little unfortunate but i think that in this instance it came across somewhat well to where the police actually had a questioning behind them to where they were thinking about whether or not there was something more going on yeah, on this recent rewatch, I decided to also research the comic book. I actually forgot that it was based on a comic book. And I decided to just pretty much read a lot of summaries over the, I think there was three books of it. I ended up finding out that ultimately in the comics, it's definitely way less moral. And that's especially like V. V is actually a lot more brutal and not as portrayed the way morally portrayed as in the movie. And I actually appreciate that they did the movie that way because I feel like if the lines were blurred, it would not have been as impactful. It's still could have been an interesting story to tell but sometimes when you tell a story sometimes you do need to create the definitive line of this is good and this is bad right i can totally agree with that regent what are your thoughts on the way that these characters grew throughout the films and their morals and all from what we've seen in this movie, it's a perfect example of genuine growth and character change. There wasn't necessarily a single character that stayed in their ways the whole runtime. I mean, V was the closest by far because the mission that he was on and the message he was trying to portray. But even so, towards the middle and the end of the movie, there were different dynamics of him that were starting to come out, at least especially towards Evie and just how he was trying to perceive himself to other people. Everyone else actually growing, starting to think for themselves, not being the premise of the movie and everything going on. 
on, there was definitely a lot more dynamics at hand than just what we were introduced in the beginning. And that really gave it as a sign of a great movie that you could see these in motion from beginning to end. And it didn't feel like it was a start stop type dynamic. It was just a continuous growth at a very smooth and productive pace that it didn't feel like each character was losing an ounce of progression with their growth. Absolutely. One of the things I definitely wanted to bring up real quick was the timing of this film and the way that they talked about V in the film, because this is early on, they labeled him as a terrorist, right? This film came out in 2005. This is less than four years after a very specific incident in the United States. It came out in 2006, but it was released internationally before. Still similar concept of what he's talking about. It's only a few years, but they actually do reference it for a little bit in the film. The general that eventually became the news reporter, they were reading off like his list of where he served when he served for his country. And they actually did go over a lot of the countries that was related to what happened with, you know, in 2001. I just thought it was fascinating and very courageous of these filmmakers to make a film about a said labeled terrorist and then shine that terrorist in a very positive, almost heroic light. I think it works. It does. And I think it works because of where they are located. I don't think if this film was made in the United States, that would have worked out well. It works differently because, you know, just kind of being straight up about it, they were not affected by 2001 like we were in the States. So it's almost like a ripple effect affected them. So it's still, I, I can agree, still can be controversial, but it's just not as heavy. Mm -hmm. No, I, I can agree. It's sure it's not as heavy, but I just thought that that was an interesting thing that I noticed while looking at that film and just noticing like, oh, this is a uh, interesting timing. <laughs> Very courageous. But yeah, I think even more than just the word, just the ideology that the film was about, the whole blacking out things, cutting certain types of people from society, the rules that was in place. To me, that was controversial because I would say even in the early 2000s, I mean, I was only a teenager and in America, I saw people already scared of things like that happening at some point in, in life is that these type of countries would become even more strict about certain rules, create like things like martial law or just pretty much keeping people from learning things, burning books, all these types of stuff. That has always been a fear in society and you can kind of see it in fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was definitely something that the movie touched on in some ways heavier than others is like the exclusion of certain things in society. For instance, you know, they excluded LGBT people, they excluded people of color, they excluded all other religions except for Catholic Christianity. It was definitely a scary thing to see in the film. So this movie does a lot as far as things that it wants to talk about. Yeah, and I don't know if we should ever have TV series, especially like if Netflix ever decides to rewrite this. I would love to know more about how they got to that point. And I know it was related to what happened with V, because I know there was some stuff that happened at the United States as well. And there was other things that happened in history that pretty much allowed all this stuff to take place. And it's not solely just what happened at that facility, the St. Mary's facility. It's kind of like all in that bubble, though, because they had did all the stuff with a virus. They did certain things with tampering with the water, certain attacks, and they briefly went over that for only just a couple of minutes, especially on this most recent rewatch. I was like, man, I really would love to know more about what happened. So funny enough, I actually know a little bit about what happened. Go spill the beans. 
Okay. So America and the whole world in this film, especially America since it's talked about in the first bit of the film, actually during the 80s, instead of just having a Cold War, went into a full-out nuclear war against Russia. And it pretty much black out most of the world, but England was spared, but later on fell into a nuclear winter. I believe it's the, I forget what the name of the corporation is, but the bad guys in the film. That corporation arises with solves to the problem because of all the chaos and anarchy going on and they promise law and order but you have to give up these certain things there has to be these things in place the curfew and they blamed it basically on sin they're like this is a sin this is judgment as they talk about in the movie the one broadcaster dude guy who gets murked pretty early on in the film basically represents that promise or that ideology that they had right after the nuclear war and that's was like what they went forward with crazy yeah the comics go a lot more in depth and they actually make a lot of the villains of the film more three-dimensional characters than basic bad guy gremlins in a room just listening to orders from john hurt yeah on that topic on this most recent rewatch i was like man this film's almost feels like a 10 out of 10 in my book there's so much right about it and near the end i started seeing just little holes in it where i was like i will definitely give it a high score but i can't see myself saying this is 10 out of 10 and that is one of the issues is that yeah the villains definitely just feel like paper cut out everybody's just i'm the bad guy i'm gonna talk real deep i'm gonna be a douchebag on screen i'm gonna wear black clothes <laughs> you know like they did everything to just make them like yeah we really hate these people they are the bad guy you know it felt very cut and dry like these are bad guys and these are good guys and then you have the worst guys who is the high chancellor and then you have creedy and then you have the doctor who was you know working at the facility and then you have the priest or the bishop in this case so those were like your ultimate bad guys and then everyone else sort of just felt like henchmen or the middle people like the detectives the henchmen. They were definitely very forgettable, but that's why they're henchmen. Indeed. How do you feel about the whole villain situation in this film, Regent? It reminded me very much of a video game called Wolfenstein. So I don't know how much you two have played that series, particularly with the New Order. Very akinning to some of the aspects of the villains, at least their mindsets of how they were carrying their acts out. Now, not obviously a one to one with the story because different factions, different time frames in the timeline. And one is based off world history, one is the exaggeration. So, but there was definitely with the villains a very, I hate using like the cut and dry method, but it very was like Cookie said, these are your heroes, these are your villains here's why they're villains and here's why they're going to be even worse villains as they go along so it felt it felt very much like a wolfenstein game but with a lot more purpose a lot more weight just a lot more there was consequences to actions and the way v carried out a lot of his hero at least in his eyes hero level of work yeah and i can agree it definitely reminds me of wolfenstein i completely overlooked that you're right like his act of work was meant to serve a greater purpose and have a more defined impact compared to the villain's goal. Because the villain's goal is basically any other villain you find in a history or historical based movie or some type of movie where it's take over the world by some means. And there's always someone that's trying to stop it. So that's where for me, it felt a little cut and dry. But outside of that, like it immediately called me back to the Wolfenstein series and how much I like those villains. And you could not wait to see them get their comeuppance for what they were doing and what they've done. Yeah, I've never really played a Wolfenstein game, but I can see what you're getting at. Oh, watching this movie, you already played half of it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> or I should say you had know half the story. <laughs> Basically, yeah. 
Oh, good to know. Good to know. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how you brought this up already, but how V went about actually enacting his plan, because I thought this was really well done. Basically started out with stopping the Fingerman, which, first of all, as a name for a cop, that's pretty yuck, but also very on the nose with what they were trying to do in the first bit of the film. Just the gross. You know why they were called Fingerman, though, right? No. It's actually makes sense when you think about what it all came from is that it's essentially the order that they had was like a body. Chancellor was the head and then generals, you know, the arms, the fingerman is right there at the end doing the small work. Okay. Yeah, I had to look it up too because I was like, <laughs> is this actually really a thing? And then once you see it that way, and remember too, with this being kind of like an alternate timeline, they might not have the same crude type of jokes we have now. Ah, uh, true, true. You know, alternate reality type deal. Yeah, for them, that could be just a name that they actually fear instead of something they, that they laugh at. But yeah, I thought it was really cool how he went about his whole ordeal. First started off with the bombing of Lady Justice, which if you've read into the comics, you know they had sort of like a whole love affair type deal, which is kind of creepy. Won't get into that too much. But blowing up Lady Justice and all of that, symbolizing that, that England doesn't have that anymore. And that his pledge is to true justice in this film, at least. That his pledge is to justice and to the embetterment of society. So first off, dealing with that and then going very shortly after to broadcast what he planned to do a whole year later just kind of kind of badass i thought that was like a good move to just be like all right i'm not doing it this november 5th but next year you'll definitely see me and then i gave up a year of people seeing the government crack down on society and trying to find this terrorist seeing the news outlets lie to the public and then giving that time for the revolution to sort of brew inside of people Yeah, and I picked it up more this time. What was also really cool was the people made the decision on their own. It's not like he did a whole lot in the public eye. He kind of just showed up, did a few things, did a broadcast, and it was individually that people started making their mind. And it was really cool because it was like the people started thinking like, you know, this isn't right. We don't want to live this way. And I just really liked that because it was a lot of what the people came up with, similar to what happened in The Dark Knight, when the Joker was like, oh, they're going to blow up each other's boats. And the people made the decision on their own, like, no, we don't think this is right. We're not going to just blow up someone else to keep us alive. It was just a similar concept to me that I thought was really awesome. It wasn't like V had to continuously keep, hey, you should be on my side for this and this and that reason. Nope. He just, he kind of just opened the door and showed them like, hey, there is something on the other side. Make the decision on your own. Yeah, I can definitely see that. The similarities between those two comparisons. I hadn't thought about it that way before, but you're 100% right. He didn't really run a campaign for why there should be a revolution. He showed up, did some things, told people like, hey, this there is a better way to live life. And people were like, oh, yeah, you're right. There is. I was just that glimmer of hope you need, that little spark. One spark to light the flame. Or the one domino. Wink, wink. Ah. wink, wink. <laughs> and then right after that, he goes about killing all of these prominent people who did things to him, basically experimented on him to find a cure for the virus that they had manufactured. So I thought that the way he killed each of them individually and each of them was personal to their relationship was also very fascinating. Because the first one, he had like a tiny bit of respect as far as his title but he also like flaunting in his face just being like you were a commander at one time still killed him and then the priest he didn't really play him around with much at all he just went straight for the kill 
I mean, at least the way the film portrayed it, there was nothing to respect that priest about. No, nope, not at all. Zero. And then, of course, with the doctor, he actually, like, made it slower and actually sat down, talked to her, and then allowed her the chance to apologize. I actually like that mostly because even she knew she was guilty. She knew it. But I feel like sometimes when people do bad things, horrible things, and not going too far down that path, but sometimes people do it out of fear or it's not as malicious. I feel like for her, she probably was that type of character who was more intrigued by the science. And, you know, it could also been for the money, too. I don't know. Sometimes in stories, they tell that story is that, oh, she got paid a lot of money. They didn't really cover that part. But at least from the way the story story displayed her she just didn't seem as vicious like she was killing even more people in her current life i mean she was taking care of the dead after she quit that job so it was one of those things where it was like you still deserve to die but i'm not going to torture you like i did some of the other people Right. She got a more dignified death. And I thought that was nice to show that, like, even though he is enacting justice in his eyes, that he's still willing to show some level of compassion to those who maybe somewhat deserve a shred of compassion. Almost like he is holding the scales in his hand and he's weighing their sins against him. Justice is blind. And then, of course, I found the most interesting death to also be the most hilarious death. Being the high chancellor just went out like a bitch. Yeah, you don't get to normally see that in films, and it was a great sight to see something different. Yeah, because typically there'd be this big monologue between, like, I've finally been waiting to topple, like, the last piece of the government and then set the people free. But no, he just begs for his life and he gets shot in the face. Yeah, by his second in command. Yeah. That was even better because here's another thing. A typical movie trope is he would be the last guy. Yep. V would have took everybody out and he would be, the chancellor would be somewhere in top of a skyscraper and he would have to go through the whole building to get to him. That's like the typical story. So I really enjoyed how quickly he got took out and essentially got humiliated like in his last time for all the stuff he went through and for how quickly he got took out, it felt satisfying for the film. It didn't feel like, oh, I watched two hours of this movie and I got a crappy bad guy death out of it it felt justified and i felt satisfied for the for what he did in the film i was like awesome job v then of course the final death was very personal creedy incredibly personally did it with his bare hands well v is a man of his word <laughs> that whole sequence was beautifully shot by the way yeah, I really like that sequence. In my first viewing, that was the payoff. I remember I was kind of annoyed. I was like, we finally get to this part of the movie. <laughs> and now I just enjoy the whole movie. So it's just a great. And to me, it's not even that it caps off the film because there's still, to me, other great stuff. But on my first viewing, to me, that's kind of where the movie ended for me. I kind of was like, meh, for the rest of it. Right. Regent, what's your thoughts on the way that they handled like the villains and how V enacted his version of justice? I mean, Cook said best, man, was born and he stuck to it. But also, it was a callback to the comics where uh, the one chancellor was taken off by a widow of his second in command, and then that person was taken off by their second command. It's a weird relationship to me that calls back to Star Wars with the power of two in the Book of Sith. One who has power and one who craves it. But in, th in this instance, it was the person who had the power was more or less defeated and begging for her life, while the second command's like, no, we still have the upper hand, and it's like, I'll take it from here. So it kind of derived away from that type of trope. Seeing John Hurt go down like that was a little hurtful to me because I'm a big fan of his work. But yeah, with Hugo as playing V, he was a man of mission, cold and calculated, knew what he wanted to do, said what he was going to do, and stuck with and committed to it. Like he saw his plan through to the bitter end. I like the way that they ended like V's character arc. Oh yeah, they definitely did a great job. And I just wanted to throw in here that it just dawned on me that we have not talked about Evie. Is that awkward at all? 
Just a little bit. <laughs> Who was the first person in the movie? <laughs> British broadcasting guy. Technically, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I do want to give Evie some shout out. Natalie Portman's performance was awesome in the film, especially the second half. She really shined. I did not give a damn about her accent because after a while it was driving me nuts. And when I was reading some of the reviews, people were pointing out that it definitely went in and out. I didn't notice because it was just kind of driving me nuts because I knew it wasn't her natural voice because I grew up watching her. So it was like, this is really weird. But outside of it, though, Evie's character and her arc, on my first viewing, I really was shocked to find out that it was V testing her during the middle of the film. I legitimately really believe that she got kidnapped and the government was just torturing her and that they, I don't know if I thought they were going to kill her. I thought maybe V was going to show up and save her and be like, oh, I've been trying to find you. So I was definitely caught off guard with that, which I thought that was a great reveal. Every watch since then, I know it's him. So it loses a little bit of that shock value like, oh, it's been V. However, the growth she goes through, I still enjoy watching. And I know it sucks because she essentially was tortured you, you can't shy away from it no matter what level it's still a form of torture but it was like the torture that she kind of wanted to become because of her family she lost her family to a lot of things that the government was doing that they wanted to fight against and she wanted essentially to be that strong i think it was kind of a little bit unfortunate that v made that decision that's something i do feel you could argue back and forth about but for the overall revolution i would speak on it was something worth her going through and i think she actually appreciated it in the end. Yeah, and one thing I want to definitely bring up about that is the scene immediately following her realization it was him all along torturing her for however long it was, and she just breaks down, hates him, but then slowly learns to appreciate it while having this breakdown. It was both heartbreaking and beautiful to watch. It was an amazing performance. I think it's probably one of my favorite performances that she's done. Oh yeah, I could definitely agree. That was an Academy Award kind of performance. It was very believable. You could feel her pain through the screen. Mm -hmm. And it was so many layers of pain there. It was her pain of going through all of that, her pain of going through all that and it not being real, her realizing that her parents probably went through something like this, her friend who she just lost because he made a skit about the high chancellor went through something like this. And then the fact of she was reading a letter while going through all this about someone who had just gone through this, a woman around her age, and all of that accumulated into this beautiful, tragic, moment of Evie's character just having a breakdown. And I just thought that moment was absolutely phenomenal to watch. Heartbreaking, but phenomenal. Oh yeah, I think the heaviest scene for me to watch throughout this film, no matter how many rewatches, is the actress, the woman that, you know, the, that wrote that story on the paper, her autobiography, because at least just the knowledge that we know of, I mean, there's no point in sugarcoating it. Pretty much the only thing that they had a problem with, at least that what they showed on screen was that she was a lesbian. For her to go through that, God, that was so fucked up. And they actually got her partner first. So, you know, she went through that. That scene still gets just, it's burned in my mind where she was was just sitting on the couch. She just knew. She was like, I know you're going to show up and I know you're going to take me and kill me. I'm just not even going to fight it. And even when they bust in, they don't even go after her first. They could see she was defeated and they're just making sure everything else is good. And then they go get her. And that scene for me is just so heavy. 
it still gives me chills to think about that scene. That the only thing wrong about that woman was the fact that she was a lesbian. And that's all that the government needed to lock her up, torture her, and then eventually kill her. And that they did the same to her lover. It's just rough. <laughs> to call back on that, there was a couple that we saw previously. It was a gay couple. It was these two dudes in the earlier bit of the film as they were going through how society is now. They went through the same thing as well, just purely for being the way that they are. Now, on a lighter note, back to like the more the film itself, on an interesting note about when they displayed the actress part, when they did going through her history and she was saying like, oh, I became an actress and I did movies. You, if you remember that scene where she was out in the grassy area and they were kind of showcasing like the camera crew was with her, you know, the directors like cut and all that kind of stuff, found out that <laughs> that actually is the real crew that made the film. They didn't hire actors just to do that part. They were just like, I right, pee in front of the camera for a little bit. I just thought that was kind of cool. Not to kill the mood about what we were talking about that part of the film but i just thought it was really neat that you know sometimes when behind the scenes is actually in front of the film yeah one of the last things that i was reading about online is people really don't like the ending of this film especially some critics out there I was reading quite a few reviews especially i was reading a lot of the negative reviews let's be real here i was honestly cherry picking to see what people didn't like about the film but a lot of people didn't like the end of the film i thought it was all this build up to be anticlimactic and i think that that's kind of an asinine statement is because i think it was the most logical and most beautiful way to end film about a revolution yeah you can't you can't show the revolution that's that's just too much and the reason why i say that is i feel like sometimes when you're telling these stories you have to be careful about what you say the resolution is to a story because the topic at hand was already heavy even if we're like oh it's cut and paste of who the bad guys good guys are you're still talking about government and the citizens that's not a simple subject to tackle because we've had so many different societies throughout history and now we have so many countries and and so forth and on and on and in this case if you showed what was the future outcome i feel like you would almost minimize what v had sacrificed for and what he did because i would rather it, it be left open to whatever you interpret because let's say what i think is a perfect government could be different than what you think is a perfect government or what a perfect society is and that's to the next person next person next person and i feel like that you're then choosing one person's ideology versus just leaving it open Right. And I think that's expanded upon when like Evie takes the detective up to the rooftop and he asks her like, well, who was he? And she expands that, like he was this person. He was this person. He was you. He was my mother. He was my father. He was me. He was all of us. And it goes to show that the whole point of this film is that the idea is powerful enough to start a revolution. If you show that revolution and the outcome and the established government afterwards, you no longer just have an idea. You have a something that is fully established and i think you would lose out on the message of the film I do agree with that to go along with that i am so happy that they did not unmask v and evie had a chance to do it and she didn't and so happy that she did that I am very glad that the one kiss in the film was her just kissing his mask and not a unmasking, sees the scar face, gets shocked, still kisses him anyways and accepts him for who he is. No, no, no. She kisses the idea, the idea that he stands for, that he poured into her, that he let her realize that she had the strength to be the person she wanted to be all along. And I think that's much more impactful than a romantic scene of an unmasking of a very scarred individual. 
Oh yeah, that would have been too much of that Disney moment stuff. And I like that there was something between them, but eventually it was, the revolution was more important. The idea was more important. And that was good because I would have been pissed if V got off his path for a woman or something like that. Like sometimes it's just some, (laughs) in media, I hate sometimes seeing that where the hero goes off his path because he wants to heroin or whatever. I like how they did this one, which is yes, they, they started building a romance because of just the bond they built. They saw a more important thing to to focus on. Right. And I think that this movie succeeded in so many avenues and the number one avenue it succeeded in is character moments. I don't think that they missed a single beat with character moments in this film and that is definitely one that they did not skip a beat on. That is all I have to say on the film. Is there anything you guys wanted to bring up before we close? To wrap up some stuff, go over a few things. A few bits of trivia. One I think people kind of picked up on, especially on a rewatch, was when V was doing the interrogation with Evie's character. The guy that was in the shadows was actually Hugo Weaving in full normal character. Like he himself, his hair and everything. And I guessed it the second time around. But the first time around, because I, I really thought she was being interrogated, I never put the two together. Did you, either of you ever picked up on that? I kind of figured it was. I did it on my second or third watch. I did pick up on that. Now, are you talking about that it was V or that it was Hugo Weaving being himself in the shadow? I took it more on the lines of V watching from afar, not Hugo himself. I was on the side of it was both. So boom. On this most recent rewatch, I definitely picked up that it was Hugo Weaving, mostly because I've now seen him in so much stuff. I was like, that's pretty cool. I bet that's him. And then I went to confirm it. Just thought it was something really neat and kind of interesting when you think about it, because he has in the actual storytelling of itself, he has burnt skin. So you would think he put on a wig and all that kind of stuff, but it was actually him. On another one is the Adam Sutler, the chancellor, the guy on the big screen. It was interesting. Someone took the time to look this up. He actually only blinks once in the film essentially especially on the the screen when i saw that i went back to rewatch some of the scenes and i was like not only i noticed yeah he doesn't blink but it's even more intimidating because he doesn't blink he is staring at them the entire time and you know how intense he talked in the film too oh yeah i'd never pieced together that he had only blinked once the entire film but now that you think about it the dude's gonna win every staring contest ever Yeah, I decided to look at whatever the scene he, the longest he talked, and I tried to leave my eyes open, and I eventually blinked, and I was like, wow, he didn't even blink. (laughs) Just something interesting. It was just, if you ever rewatch this, just pick up on that, like, man, this man, and it just makes it even more intimidating. Outside of that, one of the final notes I wanted to talk about is the potential of if they ever redo this film or something else. The reason why I point that out is America tends to make their own version of things. Since this film has been out for over 15 years, if there were going to do it i think it would have been done by now maybe they don't want to do it out of fear i'll just be straight up about it we're we're definitely a little bit strict on certain things over here or at least the type of backlash you would get or some people would turn down scripts but even though this would be controversial i would actually enjoy to watch something that is more american based like i could relate to this film in some form i related it to more of it on this most recent rewatch because of things in recent years that has happened to the world but before 2019 i still just enjoyed it as a film but i didn't connect to it as much and i'm still in the the case of i would love to see an americanized version of it to see how it will look like for us now i think there will be a little subtle differences because of the way of life we have here you couldn't have the entire country not have minorities we're just too large of a country for something like that so it was kind of be like different type of things that we would have strict not to spend too much time on that but i've always kind of just was like man i would kind of just like to see american version of it Uh, how do you all feel about that 
It'd be interesting to play out, at least from a adaptation and to screenplay. I'm just more worried about any backlash or repercussions, but that's given the current climates we're in. I think it'd be good, especially if it was like a Netflix show, held no bars, didn't care what it had to say, and didn't care what kind of content it showed. I think at that point, I would definitely be interested in watching either a potential sequel or a prequel or even a reimagining of the story. You brought up something that I've never thought about before, but I would enjoy a prequel. What made him, first of all, because we have an idea of what made him, but to see it more in detail, that way the weight is even heavier. Like, yeah, definitely get your vigilance. But even the steps between, between the fire and then to him creating that underground area, collecting stuff, training and all that, that would be really cool to have a prequel. Oh, yeah. I've always liked the idea of not really meeting your main character and until like halfway through or most of the way through a TV show. And I don't think I've ever really seen that done before. I could be very wrong, but I think that would be the perfect series to do that to where you actually start out where it's the war, nuclear war between America and Russia during the 80s. And then eventually you do get to meet V when they actually start the whole virus bit. Yeah, you could have it where the protagonist of the story could almost be someone like the idea, the ideology, and it's being passed on from person to person. That would actually kind of be cool, you know, <laughs> as each episode goes by, someone's teaching someone else and it gets passed on and passed on until it reaches V and then he carries the bulk of the weight for the remaining of it. The final person it would before it passes to V would be the actress because they were in cells next to each other. So you could have like a whole section or episode or section of an episode devoted to her story as well. All right. You hear that Netflix? Netflix, get in on this. Make it now. Gosh, I almost want to send an email. For our listeners out there, if you decide to get make a lot of money off of this, off of us, make sure we get a piece of that. Pay us that royalties, please. Mm-hmm. And if Netflix, if you're listening to this, why haven't you made this already? Also continue to listen to our show. But are there any final notes that you guys want to bring up before we close? No, otherwise, I really enjoy the film. It's something I can still rewatch. And to put a rating on it, it's a 9 out of 10. Respectfully, I could give it 8 out of 10 from a cinematic piece. But I definitely feel it's a movie that's hard to watch nowadays. I feel like it should have been watched before everyone to watch it. But I can definitely understand it's a heavy movie, especially in these recent years to watch. I'm going to go with a similar rating. I'm going to give it nine on both fronts, but then as far as a recommendation, definitely watch it. But with how much correlates to today's society and other things that you will notice while you watch this film, I understand that it can be kind of unsettling and frightening. So do keep that in mind if you do decide to watch this movie. And you both took the words out of my mouth, day out of my head. All right. Regent and Cookie, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Good times as always. Indeed. All right. And thank you listeners for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, a like, share, review on whichever platform you happen to be listening to this, probably on right now, if you're listening to the podcast, would be greatly appreciated. It is a free way to support the podcast and it absolutely helps us out. We appreciate every single one of you who will do so or has done so. Also, another free way to support the show is to tell a friend. Telling a friend is one of the best ways to spread a podcast, post about it, send it to them, be like, hey, this, this show is pretty good. I found it entertaining and they talked about this thing that I like. Pretty good. Good recommendation. I highly recommend that you do that. And it is free. So you can go ahead and do so. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks. Bye.